morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is uh, the final Sunday after the Epiphany. And on this Sunday, each year during the lectionary, we, we read the story of the Transfiguration. Today is commonly referred to as Transfiguration Sunday, not to be confused with the Feast of the Transfiguration, which comes later in the year. This year, it's August 6th. And so, a question that you and I might ask is, why in the world do we read the story of the Transfiguration two times during the year? It, maybe it is important. And I think the reason that we read the story of the Transfiguration, especially during this time, during this conclusion of this season after the Epiphany, because we have read all of these other stories about realizing who Christ is and why Christ was sent into the world and what kind of Messiah God sent into the world. These stories that we've been reading for the last couple of weeks are supposed to jog our memory of the mission that we have been called into as well as we follow this kind of Messiah in the world. And so we have read stories about miracles, right? About fish being brought into a boat in nets so heavy that it began to sink the boats. We've talked about uh, wine being uh, created out of water at a wedding. We've talked about provocative teachings that Jesus has challenged the religious status quo with. We've talked about all of these things that reveal to us who Jesus is, and the transfiguration is that last ditch effort. If you've missed it all until now, this is, this is the lectionary going, hey, pay attention Something big is happening here. And so we read it every year at this time. And it is in each of the lectionary years, A, B, and C. We're in year C this year. And year C is special. It's unique in some way when it comes to the transfiguration. Because in the other two years, in A and B, we read from the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And in those stories, we read only the transfiguration story. Nothing more, nothing less. We get it from the very beginning to the very end and no additional details. <clears throat> but in year C, in reading the Gospel of Luke, we get another set of scriptures in parentheses. <laughs> in the lectionary, when scriptures show up in parentheses, that means, well, this is optional. You can read it or you can choose not to read it. And my view generally when there are parentheses is we should probably go ahead and read it because a little more scripture probably never hurt anybody. And so that's what we've done today. We have read two stories, two gospel stories, two stories for the price of one. And that, my friends, is a bargain. And so in this first story, this transfiguration story, Jesus gathers his disciples, this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up to the mountaintop. And we are far into the gospel at this point, and these disciples have spent time with Jesus, and so it is likely not their first time. In fact, we know from reading the gospel accounts that Jesus often retreats to the mountaintop to pray, and he often 
invites his disciples. And so I bring this up to say that this was not an unusual experience. These disciples were just going up to pray with Jesus like they usually did. They were not expecting to see anything extraordinary, and yet when they came to the mountaintop, something did happen. We don't know who saw it first, but one of the disciples must have begun to nudge the other ones. Hey, are you seeing what's happening? Over there, Jesus' face, does it look different to you? Jesus' face begins to shine, like radiant, like you need a pair of sunglasses just to look at him. And the other disciples are now beginning to key key in on what is happening, and they are watching Jesus change before their eyes. And now, not only his face, but also his garments begin to glow and radiate. They are dazzling white, the Gospel of Luke says. And in this occurrence, this already shocking occasion, then suddenly two other figures appear, and they recognize them, Moses and Elijah. And they are there just a few feet away, and they begin to hear Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah about what is about to happen to him, about going to Jerusalem, about dying on a cross and resurrecting, about the road ahead. And so they have been hearing some of these things from Jesus, but now they are privy to this conversation between him and this great leader and this great prophet. And again, this is a moment, whoever is reading this, to say, Jesus is not doing something totally new here. Jesus is a continuation of what has already been happening. Only now it is being expanded and overflowing into new areas of the world that no one has ever seen or dreamed of before. And Peter, like Peter does, responds. Peter says out loud, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And I agree. If I had the opportunity to be there at the transfiguration, wow, I would love to have seen this. And perhaps the other disciples were saying the same thing, but just in their hearts. And Peter continues to talk. And he says, we should build three dwelling places or three altars. We should build these places of reverence to you, to Moses, and to Elijah. And the scripture says that he did not know what he was saying. And yet, if I put myself in his shoes, I'm not sure that I would have said or thought differently, either out loud or in my interior. Sometimes shocking things happen, and we don't have the time to process actually what we are seeing and how we should respond. And then, just as quickly as they appeared, they are gone. And Jesus is standing there alone. And then a cloud begins to come overhead. And then suddenly, they are caught up in this cloud. I didn't catch that until this morning. I've read this passage like 20 times this week, but they are literally inside the cloud at this moment. And a voice begins to speak to them, and says, this is my chosen, my son. I love this next part. Listen to him. (laughs) Like maybe they hadn't been listening to him all of this time. And so the disciples were afraid. And they stayed there. And they weren't sure if they should tell anyone else. And again, if I put myself into their shoes, I don't know that I would have told anyone else. 
This is the kind of overnight camping trip that if you come home and tell the actual story of what you saw, you might just get committed. (laughs) And that's the story. The story of the transfiguration. The story where the disciples have their eyes unveiled to see Jesus as he truly was. Not only in that moment, but always. And so the second story, I think, is where it really gets interesting for us. The disciples and Jesus spend the night on the mountain, and then they begin to come down, and the crowds are still waiting on Jesus. And one man from the crowd begins to cry out for help. Jesus, my son, is being oppressed by an evil spirit, and he loses control, and the spirit takes over and thrashes him on the ground, and he convulses, and he is literally being physically harmed when this happened. And he says, I asked your disciples, but they could not deliver him. And Jesus responds saying this, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? I was part of several discussions this week, a Bible study, a staff meeting, a few other occasions where we read this passage together. And almost unanimously, everyone was like, why was Jesus so angry and frustrated with this individual. But I don't think that's what's happening. What we didn't read this morning is the beginning of chapter 9, so I'm going to read that to you now. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal. And he said to them, "'Take nothing for your journey.'" No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, nor even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Jesus is not frustrated with a man who is asking help for his son, Jesus is frustrated because he has invited the disciples and he has empowered them already to do this good work that they have failed to do. When I was a kid, I loved action heroes. I loved watching movies and TV shows about those kind of, you know, heroes that come in and fix everything by themselves. I loved Walker, Texas Ranger, and Zorro. I loved the Lone Ranger. I loved anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone, where these people would come in and just with sheer strength fix a whole situation by themselves when everyone else had failed. And yet I am reminded this morning that this is not who the gospel calls us to be. The gospel calls no Lone Rangers or Zorros or Texas Rangers. The gospel calls us to be in community, to join together with Christ, to participate with him in this work of cleaning up the world. And you and I, like the disciples, have been invited and empowered to stand up and to rebuke evil. Notice at the start of chapter 9, the disciples were able to cure diseases, but they could not cast out this evil spirit. I wish I could say that when evil showed up in the world, it was always this apparent. 
I wish there was always someone that could come in, a loving parent who would just say, this is what evil looks like, and this is how evil is affecting my life. And yet, it is not always that clear cut. Evil instead shows up in our lives in sneaky ways. It does not come to us with horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail. Evil shows up in ways that we do not expect. Evil shows up in our world when innocent people have acts of warfare committed against them. Evil shows up in our community when people go hungry in our neighborhood, yet we have an abundance in our own pantry and in our own table. Evil shows up in our local community when misguided officials put out edicts or attempt to have legislation that targets the most vulnerable people in our communities. Evil shows up today, and sometimes we miss it because like the disciples, we are overtaken with sleep and we are comfortable, and we miss it because it doesn't affect us and we'll let someone else deal with it. And yet, this is exactly the kind of frustration that Jesus speaks out of in this occasion and to the church. You and I are also invited not to be a faithless and perverse generation, but to be a faithful, a faithful generation that joins together with the work of Jesus Christ in the world to standing up and to rebuking evil in all of its many forms. So why do we read the transfiguration story? Not just every year, but multiple times per year. Because you and I, like the disciples, we need our eyes unveiled, our hearts and minds to see not only Jesus for who he truly is and who he calls us to be, but also to see the world with clear eyes, the way that God sees the world, so that we can love it, so that we can participate with it, so that we can enter into those difficult and dark situations where evil truly does rear its ugly head and where we can stand against it and rebuke it with the power that was given to us by Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for this church and for myself. Amen.